verse 1 of John 15. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father knows... By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So, this was supposed to be a devil, but the Lord gave me a full-on study. And it actually went in a slightly different direction than what He had originally given me when He first put this deep on my heart. Um, what I want to emphasize mainly the first verse is what we're going to go in depth with mainly. Um, so in verse 1 where it says, so I'm going to give a quick background. Um, the previous chapter, chapter 14, we know um, the disciples and Jesus are still at the location of the Last Supper. So we know um, that's when they're in the upper room and they're talking. So they're talking after dinner and um, and actually, yeah, because 13 is when chapter 13, two chapters before is where he washes the disciples' feet. And then um, he gives the piece of bread to the one who's going to betray him. And we know it was Judas, but they still didn't get it at the time. So um, we know Judas left and Satan entered him. So after he left, um, it's interesting because now he's talking to the disciples more. So it's like he couldn't fully reveal everything until he left. So now it was kind of, even though they didn't know it, but we know when... When the spirit is moving, and then we know, as Paul also says in one of his epistles, to not quench the spirit. So who knows, maybe Judas was quenching the spirit, or just him being there, Jesus felt like he couldn't share everything he wanted to share. So um, now they're actually just talking. Um, just like when we are out with friends or over somebody's house, you know, after dinner, we just have long conversations, and especially in the Lord. So it's always an edifying conversation. So it was one of those things that... He actually told them a lot, a lot of um, heavy um, teachings and a lot of doctrine in just these moments after the Last Supper and it's a few chapters um, until they leave that place. Um, so that's what happened. I'm going to mention some verses from chapter 14, but now it's at the end of chapter 14. He says, arise, let us go from here. So they're still all together. They left that place and then they're walking around and um, it is said they could have possibly seen um, grapes and vines either on one of the on the temple. They were golden, um, so maybe they were entering the temple and they saw the 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 golden grapes and the vines, or it could have been just simply the vines and the grapes that they were just. They, we know they walked everywhere, so in Israel they probably came across a, a vine. So it could have been either or. So we know Jesus taught in in parables and not just parables, but he was very practical. So. He um, gives good visuals so they could understand 
what he was trying to teach. But in a, and he and it was very deep actually. The more I got into the study, I didn't realize how deep it was. I thought it was just a simple illustration he gave um, that they would understand in their time. But I just found so much deep stuff in this. So um, verse one, when he says, "I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser." The word true, I looked it up, and in the Greek, it's aletinos. So the definition, again, how I said a good inductive Bible study tip, if there's a word that stands out to you, um, pursue it and dig deep, and, and it's usually the Lord leading in that direction. So that stood out to me, just a true vine. So the definition in the Greek, it means the opposite to what is, what is counterfeit, imaginary, simulated, or pretended. Opposite to what is imperfect, defective, frail, uncertain. So that is really cool because Jesus is emphasizing that he is the true, only one. He could have said, I'm the vine. Simply, I am the vine. He said, I am the true vine. Only one implying that are false, that there are false ones out there. And we know there's so many counterfeits out there. Um, as Gigi was just sharing her testimony, we know how a life apart from the Lord, there's just so many counterfeits and we could easily pursue that, whether it's drugs, um, just the devil lying to us in our heads and how she said she even <laughs> dabbled in, in Satanism with people she hung out with and she, she said she was a fool, she didn't know what she was doing. And we know there's just so many other things out there that try to um, make us think that that's the way. But we know Jesus says he is the only way chapter as well um yeah chapter 14 um so i thought that was pretty cool and we know that the world and the devil just entice us and the bible tells us sin is enjoyable for a season um, but at the end of the day we know it's false and it will never satisfy us and it's going to cost us our eternal soul so it might be fun for a season but in the end it's it's even if it's in between those sins we might be enjoyable but it's always like a roller coaster we're going to be um, the highs and the lows. Yes, we can still be depressed as a Christian, but as we've been studying in Philippians, um, there's that inner joy that just never, that will not go away despite our, our emotions. But in the world, there's just simply no hope. But, um, so yeah, so we know that only in Him is true life. So Jesus said in the few chapters previously, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have, have it more abundantly. And I was thinking of that scripture when Gigi was sharing her testimony just exa exactly like that. And, and that's what it is. It's just, it's a facade and it's, he entices us and we think we're happy or maybe we're not happy. So um, we continue doing drugs because we don't know any better. We don't know a better way. And I was the same way. We were not feeling good. We have, our emotions are down. So we just do more more and more so we can just drown it out like she said but we know that at the end of the day it's Jesus that gives us the abundant life all of that it's, it's just a counterfeit and it just gets us in trouble as we saw with her testimony it's, it might be good for that moment but it's not good for us and we see it destroys sin destroys everything our families how she lost her kids so so we know that's all a counterfeit so that same verse where he says I am the vine I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser um, vine, so after true, I looked up the word vine, he is the true vine. So the definition is just a literal vine. Um, the Thayer's Greek dictionary explains further, Christ calls himself a vine because as the vine imparts to its branches sap and productiveness, so Christ infuses into his followers his own divine strength and life. 
Pastor Chuck says, Pastor Chuck Smith, me abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me will bring forth the fruit that the Father desires. It comes automatically from abiding in Christ. And I mentioned one of his books before, um, Why Grace Changes Everything. It's a really, really good book. Um, whether you've been in legalism most of your life or if you're still trying to discover what the Christian walk is if you're new to it, it's really good to get into that book so you're not deceived. But first, of course, the Bible. Galatians would be a good book to not be deceived into legalism. But that book is really good because he talks about how it's a natural thing. When Jesus chose to call it fruit. Um, he compared it to a manufacturer when it's just producing, producing, producing. It's, it's forced. It's just mechanical. So that's it's not like that. That's legalism. And, and it's fruit. It's a garden. And as we see, so many different fruits and trees take longer. They each have their own time where they bear fruit. So some might take longer than others. And um, there's a process. And we've got to water it. So it's not overnight. So we, I love that Jesus says it's, it's bearing fruit. And um, so as Chuck Smith continues to say, but the responsibility of bringing the fruit that God wants is upon us, the branches, as we're going to later see in that verse. He's, the verses he says, we are the branches. But the secret is abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you. And you will begin to bring forth much fruit. And I love what Chuck Smith also said. He says, instead of getting into theological arguments, just abide. And you wouldn't have to worry. Though there is a lot to say, um, we get the doctrine of abiding in this chapter. Calvary Chapel, as Calvary Chapel, we believe in abiding. And that is why we're against um, Calvinism. And we're not Armenians. We're right in between. So there has to be a balance. And again, we could go very deep into that. But I love what Chuck Smith said. It's just abide and you don't have to worry about it. Because it goes hand in hand. Yes, God chooses us. But he also calls us to abide. And we have to bear fruit. But then again, it's... We're in the vine. The vine is the one who does the work. We're just there abiding in him. And as we see in the later verses, he says if the branch doesn't produce fruit, it's cut off and it's withered. So if you picture a branch cut off, it's going to die right because it's not attached to the vine anymore. So it's him that brings the fruit, but we must abide. If we don't abide, then there's going to be no fruit. So leading now to that same verse where he says, my father is the vine dresser. So I looked at vine dresser. The original word used is husbandman, and that's in the Old Testament. It's in the Song of Solomon, where it talks about um, the vines, and the grapevines, and all throughout the Old Testament, other references, but it basically just means it's the tiller of the soil. So we know, so Jesus is the vine, we're the branches that shoot out of the vine, and God the Father, He's the tiller of the soil. So He's the one controlling everything. Though we know Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God, you're going to see how it all works together, though, because there's an order. Verse 2. So verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So again, I said, um, where are the branches? I looked up the word branch. In the Greek, it's klema. Uh, the definition is a tender and flexible branch, which I really, I'm glad I looked up that definition. I thought it was just going to be, oh, it's just a branch, you know, <laughs> but I like that it says it's a tender and flexible branch, specifically the shoot or branch of a vine, a vine sprout. And I looked up a picture of the vine because I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting it wrong, the branches and the vine, because you would think that sounds similar. The vine, it looks all the same almost, right? It's not a tree. They could attach themselves to trees, but... Um, I looked it up to see what's the vine and the branches. 
So the vine is actually the thicker wooden part. So basically the main, the base of the, of the plant where it grows out is thicker. And the branches are the smaller shoots that shoot out because the vine could have arms, as we're gonna, I'm gonna mention later, the arms are still part of the vine, so that's Jesus. So the arms is, then the branches shoot out of the arms. And that's like a big healthy plant because there could be different sizes. But, so I love that it's tender and flexible because we know that we can easily, and they're very thin too, and they're the ones bearing the fruit. We know we can break, we're very, um, a lot of us were tender, and I love what Angela shared as well because it just, remind, it just reminded me of that, and God is so merciful and just patient with us, and He works with us. We know in a prophecy of, I believe it's Isaiah 53, where it talks about Jesus being um, that uh, a tender plant, a tender reed, He will not break, and a uh, smoking flax, He will not put out. So we know he's so gentle with us and flexible. So we are called to be flexible. I love that Pastor Chuck says, blessed are the flexible so they will not be broken, but also we're being flexible to his working. If we're stubborn and we don't want, we want to do things our way, we know it's not going to work like that. It's just like a relationship. There has to be compromise and we work together. And But most importantly, we have to surrender to the Lord and just be open to the way he wants to move us and graft us in the direction he wants to go. And as we're going to see pruning and if there's things he wants to take out of our lives so we just have to be flexible so the old testament also talks about israel being the original branches um as i mentioned in another study remember that the new testament just confirms the old testament and references a lot of its scriptures so when people say that the old testament is not relevant for today we know we wouldn't have a huge chunk of the new testament if if any because it's all quoting the old testament and it goes hand in hand though we're in a new covenant and it's shadow of things to come it goes together so paul says in romans and this is again about israel being the original branches he says in romans 11 19 through 23 you will say that branches were broken off that i meant I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And we know that was Israel originally. He called the nation of Israel to be his representatives. They were his special people. And we know that they rejected the Christ. They rejected Jesus, the one they were waiting for. And so, in a way, it was for our benefit, Paul says, because now the Gentiles were grafted in. We, we could have still been saved. They called it... Um, not pronounce that word. I think it's proselyte. So that would be a Jewish that I'm sorry, a Gentile that converted to Judaism. This was before Jesus came. So in a way, that would have been us if we, if they would have accepted Jesus. Maybe the the Gentiles we could still receive as well. We would have been um, like them. But now that they denied him, he just went straight to us. So we didn't have to go through them anymore and the law. And we accept Jesus then, and we don't have to follow the their laws, the, Juda the Judaism, but the laws that they followed. But it was interesting because when I read that, um, Jesus also says in the next following verses, and actually the verses we're not going to cover, but it's still in the same chapter, John chapter 15, verse 16. 
He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And that's another verse that you may hear in, in the theological debates with um, Calvinism and Arminianism. And so we know that it all goes together. You could go both. He chooses us, but we know, and he calls us, but we have to choose. He could choose us just like the Jews. He chose them to be a nation, so they were chosen, but they still rejected him. So it's possible that he chooses us, but we could still reject him. And also the different people Jesus called in his early ministry when he started calling his disciples to follow him. We know that there's a lot that put excuses and they didn't follow him. So he chose them, but they didn't respond to the call. So it's interesting speaking about Israel. He calls us and chooses us, but now it's our responsibility to bear the fruit. But again, it's only through him, not by our own strength. So actually, no, yes. So his helper, which we're going to see later he, in the previous chapter, he actually talks about the Holy Spirit, how he's going to bring us the Holy Spirit as our helper. His helper teaches us, and he also teaches us. Israel was chosen, but then cut off, as we saw in Romans right now, but they can be grafted back in if they believe. So it's pretty interesting that God doesn't give up on us. Though they were cut off, if they simply believe, God still gives them time and gives them a chance that they could be grafted back in. I looked, I looked into grafting, and um, yeah, it's simply you just see the branch is broken back to the, it's, it's grafted into the vine source. And because we see that Jesus is the vine, he says, without me, you could do nothing. So once they're grafted in, it's like they get that life back in and they could just be joined to the rest of the plant, which we're in, the ones that accepted him, the Gentiles. So I thought that was really interesting because I thought I possibly likewise, it's possible that we may be able to be grafted back in. If we forfeit our salvation, as we know, salvation is a gift. And not that we easily lose our salvation, but like I said, God could call us, but it's our choice. If we continually reject the Holy Spirit, reject, like I said, God gives us time. He's really patient. But if we literally die rejecting Him, of course we're not going to go to heaven. The only unpardonable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's rejecting Christ, ultimately. So it's interesting that He said even since they denied Christ, if they could be grafted in, it's interesting that if, even if we forfeit our salvation and want nothing to do with the Lord anymore and no longer believe in Him, Jesus did say He would be withered away once we're cut off. So we see that there is a time limit. We know if a branch or maybe even fruit is cut off from the, from the original plant, we know it doesn't wither immediately. Over time, it starts to wither. So there's a time limit that it can be grafted back in. So we know it doesn't happen instantly. The longer we're, we are without the life source, we will die spiritually. We become more and more hardened the longer we reject, and it becomes harder to come back to Him. As we know, each time that a person rejects the Lord, as throughout the scripture we see, God warns, do not harden your heart, do not stick, um, stiffen your neck. Do not reject the Holy Spirit. So we see that it's possible to reject the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. It tells us that. So we know Pharaoh hardened his heart. And how many times since we eventually God set him in that decision. So it's possible to get so hardened where we just cannot accept him anymore. So don't wait too long. If, if you're that person that may say, I'll wait until the tribulation period to come to him or 
fully surrender, or you hear people say, oh, once I'm ready, once I'm ready, I'll go to church. And that's the biggest lie because none of us are ever ready. So I hate, I hate slash love hearing that because I didn't know that. A lot of people just aren't given that simple truth. They believe that you have to be perfect when you go to church. And so if you ever hear that, it's, it's good to correct it and be like, no, we're never going to be ready because that's the biggest lie that people think they can't come to church until um, they're ready. Just like Angela said, she thought she was going to get struck by lightning. And we hear that a lot. And it's like, no. We're never going to be ready, so we know we just have to surrender, and it's God, the vine, who does the work in us. All we have to do is abide. It's not us forcing it. So we know He does the work, and throughout time, it's not instantaneously. How she said she didn't feel anything instantly, but it was a process. And, and so I thought that was pretty interesting that it's possible people could be grafted back if, if they may be almost on their deathbed, or they're continually rejecting and committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But... God gives the opportunity to the Jews to be grafted back in. So we know it will be way more difficult if you, if you wait to the tribulation period. I love how Pastor Rawrys of Holy Spring says, if you can't live for Jesus now, how are you going to live for him then? If you actually know what's going to happen in the tribulation period, it's going to be so much harder, so much pressure to cave into the Antichrist. And your food's going to be cut off, everything's going to be cut off, and you can't work. So it, don't wait till it's too late. And Jesus says, he tells us to come as we are, and he does the work, like I said, naturally. All we have to do is surrender. It's a sanctification process. So that portion was on abiding. So I do want to get to the pruning part. So I looked up pruning, what it is. So in the vineyard, its growth, the growth of the vines and the grapes and the actual vineyard, is maintained with the pruning in order to control the quantity and quality of the grapes. So the arms, which I said is um, still part of the vine, which is Jesus, the arms can also be pruned too. Just how the vine can be manipulated, curved, or grafted wherever you want it to grow alongside. So the vine can also be grafted. And before I get into that, another interesting thought the Lord showed me on that. The vine is also a permanent plant. And me lately, I've been getting into plants and I'm hoping to, we could start a garden or a greenhouse in our backyard of fruits and vegetables. Now that we have our own place, but I, I've been getting into plants and trying to get them not to die and all. But it's interesting because I didn't know what a permanent plant was. So the vine is considered a permanent plant. So it's actually an all year round, not seasonal, and it will not fade away over time. So I thought that was pretty cool that we saw earlier, Jesus said, I am the true vine that it wasn't frail, and the original definition, one of one that I really like, it said it's not frail or uncertain. So I love that the vine is actually a permanent plant. And we think, oh, Jesus was just giving a quick illustration for us to understand, but the more I looked into that, I was like, oh, it's a permanent plant. Just how Jesus is certain. He's our sure hope. He's steadfast. He's permanent. He's here to stay. We know he never leaves us or forsakes us, no matter if we reject him. Like I said, he's always willing to bring us back. And he goes after us as he leaves the 99 for the one. So just how we saw that he is a true vine. And I thought that was pretty awesome that it's a permanent plant. So it, it doesn't die. And also I mentioned earlier how the vine, which Jesus said he is the vine. But the actual vine can be led to where you want it to grow. Philippians 2, as we're going to get into when we get back into Philippians, which I'm so excited about. It's a very important chapter. It tells us. Though he was equal to God, he humbled himself and obeyed even to the point of death, 
And Hebrews 5.8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So we know that Jesus, when he came to earth, not only the purpose was to provide our salvation, but he was also the example of how to live the life in the flesh. Um, which reminds me of, I love Galatians 2.20, how Paul says, this life that I live in, I've been crucified with Christ, um, that he lives in us, and the life that he lives in the flesh, he now lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I love that part where it says, the life I now live in the flesh. Because yes, we get saved, but then what, we're still in this body, as Paul says in Romans, that who would deliver me from this um, this body of death, and it's just, we you know, our flesh is, we want to do what we, he says, I, what I will to do, I cannot do. So our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak, and we find ourselves stumbling, and maybe we fail the Lord, and we just hate it because we want to be perfected. But the awesome thing is we have to remind ourselves that it's a sanctification process, and he's constantly working in that. As we know in Thessalonians, Paul says that the will of God is for your sanctification. So that's one of the will, main wills of God. And he's always working, and we're not going to be perfected until we get to heaven. So I love that Jesus was that example for us. Though he was sinless, he still showed, he still suffered. Just because he was sinless didn't mean he didn't suffer. We know, again, that prophecy of him in Isaiah 53, that he was um, a man despised by others. And, and he suffered a lot and everything he went through on the cross, and he lived a lonely life. But yes, though he was around the... The multitudes and the disciples and he was betrayed by one of his closest disciples and um, though he knew it would happen but he still operated in the flesh he was still 100% God 100% man but he didn't he could have used his powers but we see he didn't he lived it in the flesh so he could show us the way and so again how it says that um, how I talked about the vine could be uh, manipulated or, or led where you want it to grow. We know Jesus is God, but in Philippians 2, we see the order, how, how I said, he would, though he was equal to God, he didn't consider it robbery to have to suffer. And he, there's a, a order, you know, it's God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but they're all God. And if there was an order, it would just be chaos. So it all works. God is, is just so perfect and all wise that he, he has a perfect plan to even before creation, before he created man, before he created the heavens and the earth, he already had perfect fellowship in the Trinity. He didn't have to create but anything else. But he already had a plan and everything's just so orderly. And, and it's just, the more, we won't fully understand the Trinity till we get to heaven, but he gives us enough to understand it and it just blows our mind. But again, there's that order and he showed us that because there's the order of things, we were able to have salvation. Because who else would die? What if they all died? Or not that they died as God, but he came as a man on earth. But it wouldn't make sense. He had to be a man, not an angel, as, as we know in doctrine, that angels can't be redeemed. Um, God would have to come down as an angel to die. We know angels can't die. So it was just so perfect how he planned things to be the sun manifested in the flesh. So again, how the vine could be moved the way he wanted to, I thought it was awesome because he obeyed the Father. We know he could have easily said no, um, as, as again Philippians 2 says, he obeyed even to the point of death. He could have been like, no way, I'm God, you guys come down and die, one of you guys come, and he didn't. So the Father, he obeyed and the Father directed the plan, all of them working together as one, but I thought that was pretty interesting how we know the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and Jesus obeys the Father. 
and but he is exalted. So I thought that was pretty awesome that even the vine could be moved and grafted. So also he's our example when we get pruned since I said the vine could also get pruned. He talks about the branches being pruned, but the vines could actually be pruned too. So how I said he lived in the flesh, so he's our example when we get pruned. We know he suffered a lot. Even the Garden of Gethsemane, we know he was sweating those droplets of blood. It must have been very a pruning experience that he had to push through and also feel the Father um, when he was on the cross, that that fellowship was broken for that moment of sin, because God couldn't look upon sin. So it's pretty interesting that he's our example as well, because we know pruning is not a comfortable process. It's not always a good thing. It's painful. We know it, it involves snipping, scissors, or machetes, whatever they want to use. And it's awesome that we could look to Jesus, that he went through it. So we know that we could go through anything in this life, especially the Christian life, as we're called to suffer. That's a promise people don't really like claiming. In 2 Timothy, we know that the Christian is called to suffering and persecution, and it's going to happen, and, and it's never easy. Yes, we'll suffer more in the world than there's suffering in Christianity, but apart from Christ, we know that it, it would be worse. But he's our example that we know he went through it, so he will get, get us through it. He went through this life and felt everything that we feel. Anxiety, depression, um, betrayal, like I mentioned, and loss of friends. He experienced death when Lazarus died, but he raised him from the dead. He experienced the, the little girl dying, but he raised her from the dead. He experienced um, John the Baptist, his cousin that he was close to. He experienced him dying, but he didn't bring him back to life. So it was um, part of his will. So we know that he experienced so much. So another thing that I wanted to hit on, which was going to be my original um, study, and this is a different direction the Lord took me, but the original thing I wanted to share, what spurred up this study was that, like I said, I've been getting into planting and gardening, so I follow different pages. And there's this girl I follow that she posts pictures of um, what parts of the plants to prune. So it was pretty interesting because I was like, if I would have grown it, you know, it takes forever. Maybe you'll be excited. Like, yes, finally one of my plants grew and I didn't kill it and starting to produce specifically the tomato plant. It looks healthy. I was going to put a picture up. It looks healthy. Like, it's very promising. And it, once it, I think it, even if the little tomatoes start growing, you're supposed to snip it. And I think I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, naturally you'll think like, no, I have to let it grow. It's finally growing. But you have to prune it because it's... Um, that will kill the rest of the plant. So if you let it grow that way, it's gonna be a temporary plant. How I mentioned permanent plants that are year-round. Um, so once it grows that batch of fruit, or in this case, tomatoes, the plant just dies and it's not gonna give any more tomatoes ever again. So you have to prune it or else it's gonna kill the whole plant and it won't ever give tomatoes again. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So it might look good, it's a good part of the plant. So just like our lives, God maybe starts taking things away and we're like, that looks like a good thing, God, or maybe a relationship we're stuck in that we think is good for us, but it's not good. I know I was in that when I was first got saved and, and you know, we deceive ourselves and we think it's good for us or they deceive us and only the Lord knows and he's, he sees why he has to prune it. We might not get it, but he knows the bigger picture and just like this, we wouldn't have thought that we have to prune that part of the tomato plant. And also she also mentioned, showed a picture of basil plants, same thing, you have to plant, um, prune certain parts of it, so the same thing, it wouldn't kill the whole plant, and it will keep producing. So I thought that was pretty interesting, because if we don't 
get pruned or murder our flesh in certain areas, we know we're going to stop producing fruit. It's just going to kill. It's going to kill us spiritually. And we see that Jesus said he wants us to bear much fruit. He could have said like just to bear. His will was just to bear one fruit, and then the whole plant's going to die. It's like no much fruit. So he has to prune it. Just how we see it, pruning maintains the plant and the quantity and the quality. So that's what Jesus is interested in. And again, it's him doing the work in us, but we just have to surrender and let him do it. Because if we hold on to things, then we're just going to ruin us, ourselves, our, the plant. So, and also it kind of reminded me of emotional or short-lived believers with no commitment. How you see the parable of the sower. It talks about different believers that some, that the seed. The seed that was snatched away in the heart, some that grew, some that burned up from the sun. So we know that each one represents something. And when we come to the Lord, we know that there's some that are short-lived. They're excited, and then we just never see them again, and they just never come back to the Lord. And, and they seem like they were all in. They're just serving, maybe for a few months, and then we never see them again. So that reminded me also of the fruit. If we don't cut it, we would think, oh, it's growing, it's growing, the tomato, and it's all good, and it looks nice, but then it dies. So... That's where the pruning is important. There has to be that commitment. So we just have to persevere and be in prayer, and He will help us. Again, it's Him, not us, that's doing the work. So that's why it's important, again, to be in His Word, have a devotional life, and be in fellowship with other believers and, and the church, because we can't do it on our own. And again, it's not that those things, well, the Word does bring that fruit in us, but we just have to abide in Him. So verse 4 through 5, in John 15, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Um, again, kind of what I just mentioned, so don't condemn yourself. Again, it's a process. Sanctification. He teaches us. So when... When we go to school, we know that we don't learn everything right away. So say you're in first grade or you're going into kindergarten. They don't expect you to graduate as a high school graduate after the first year, right? So it's it's like we're the schooling. Actually, there's a book, I think it's I think it's by Andrew Murray. It talks about the school of obedience, something like that. But it's pretty cool because you see, actually Paul talks about it too, that the law was just a tutor. But the Holy Spirit is our teacher, as we see in the previous chapter. And also Jesus himself, he says in Matthew 11, how he teaches us. So I thought of that at school. They don't expect us or say maybe you're fourth grade, whatever it is. They don't expect us, and it's not realistic, that in one semester we're going to have our PhD or, you know, we know everything. It's like, no, you know, we have to go through elementary school, maybe even preschool, middle school, high school, college. And then we go to grad school, we get our master's, our doctorate. So there's levels. So we never fully graduate until we get to heaven, how I mentioned, and we're perfected as Philippians 1.6 says, that he who has begun a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we're also told in 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we're commanded to grow, and it's our responsibility again. He does the work, but we have to do our part too. If we don't abide, which is praying and reading, just having that relationship with him, then we're going to die. He's going to cast us off and we're going to wither away from the vine. So, um, John 14, 16 through 17 says, I am the Father. I'm sorry, as I mentioned about the Holy Spirit being our helper. So, 
John 14, 16 through 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Just as we're talking about abiding, Jesus continues to mention abiding, abiding, even in chapter 14. So the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And John 14, 26 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And Matthew 11, 28-30, so this, that was the Holy Spirit being our teacher, but how I said Jesus himself is also our teacher, as they're all one God, the Trinity. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 6. John 15. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So thrown into the fire, well, as we can <laughs> easily see, that is, the fire is always representative of your symbolic of hell. So again, God gives us time because you see that it's still going to take time to gather them. The men come and gather them. But and we don't, it doesn't wither right away, but there comes a time if we just die rejecting him or we continue to reject him, you know, hell is going to be our destiny. And I love how Hebrews talks about it, but I've heard it say, there's a quote that says, I know Hebrews talks about it too, that God doesn't send us to hell, that we literally have to step over Jesus' dead body to get to hell. We don't just, oh. I ended up in hell, that's not fair, God didn't tell me, he didn't give me a chance. It's like, he literally has so many blockades or things that we have to fight to get across, just to get our way to hell. So, that was a pretty interesting picture. But, thrown into the fire, um, the prophet Isaiah said, as he mentioned similar, similar wordings, he says that it's, no, it's not even good for burning. Even so, the wood of a grapevine, it can't even make you can't even make a pig out of it, you can't do anything with it, so it's pretty much useless if once you're um, cut off. So, they even say it's not good for burning, it's not even good fire, it's bad. They have to literally just cut it, gather it, and throw it into the fire somewhere where they just burn trash or whatever. So, it's not even good for that. So, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So this where we get into prayer. We know there's a lot of verses Jesus says throughout the Gospels, but more in chapter 14 as well. How he always says, you know, ask anything in my name and it will be given. And we know that sounds pretty broad. That's when people abuse these verses and they say, oh, you know, the name and acclaimment or prosperity gospel, or they say, ask anything, or even atheists, this is what they use to prove, to argue why they don't believe in God. They say, oh, God didn't listen to me, and they easily lose their faith because God didn't listen. But we know God doesn't work that way, that if it's according to His will, so it goes deeper than that. So the key is, as we often overlook, Jesus says this in verse 7, but what did we just read? Everything was talking about abiding first, right? So now... Once he says whatever you ask, the key is if we abide in him and he in us, not our own lust. So we're not praying for our own lust. Chuck Smith says, it will be in harmony with his will. A disciple of Christ means denying of self. It's not selfish, but to accomplish the purpose of God that becomes the chief desire of my heart. 
So he will put his desire in your heart. Even in the Old Testament, we know it talks about this, like in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, it talks about God inscribing his law now in the fleshly ta tablets of the heart. Because we know the law came through Moses, and as I mentioned, Paul in the New Testament says that the law was just a tutor. It was to show us our sin. Paul said that he didn't even know he was covetousness until he read the law. So it's just a tutor, and but God prophesies and says that he's going, there's going to come a time when he's just going to write it in our hearts. And we don't have to follow the law. So it's that relationship once Jesus came and, and we abide. He makes it a longing and desire. That's why it's a pleasurable and exciting thing when we're following God's will and are led by him. So if you guys ever are still discovering your gifts or serve at an outreach or something and God just does something awesome, that's why it's, that is, to me, I feel like that is like the most fulfilling thing is when you're walking in your calling and your gifts, whatever it is that, that God has for you whenever you accomplish that or you have that even that divine appointment there's always that exciting feeling because that's god's will and we know that's what pleases us and that's what we want so once our hearts are aligned with him that's how we're able to pray anything in his name because we're not going to pray for those selfish things it's according to his will because we're abiding in him he abides in us so just like psalm 37 4 through 5 another verse that people take out of context but this goes hand in hand with what we just went over it says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So same thing, abiding, you have to delight first. Then our desires become his desires. He also says in John 14, 13 through 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And again, I'll do the Gospels, you hear that. So, finishing off with verse 10, our final verse. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So, verse 10, it's all about keeping His commandments. That's the key to the verse. So, John 14, 15, again, the previous chapter, Jesus is still speaking. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And another um, wording, people could say will. It's his will, commandments, like we said, it goes hand in hand. So John 15, 21 through 24 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, which is not the one who betrayed him, but the, the other disciple, Judas, there was two, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So I always thought that verse was so beautiful, that he will make his home in us. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that book that's always referenced. Um, I think it's Christ My Home. I forget what it's called. It's a little tiny book. And it talks about that, Christ making his home within us, and he's cleaning all the rooms out, and then there's one room that the man doesn't want him to see, that's the last final closet, and he's like, there's a stench coming from this tiny room, what is it? And he doesn't want Jesus to see it. And he would meet with him in the mornings, and then um, Jesus would always be waiting for him there in the living room, or wherever it was they met, and then there was times when he just stopped meeting with him. And it's pretty interesting, but, but I love it. It's a picture that reminds us that, and it's really short. 
that he, he's in us, he's already dwelling in us. So even if we're in sin, I think Angela mentioned that too, it's like he's still, he's still in us, he doesn't give up on us. And again, it's only until you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that we're not going to be sensitive to the Spirit. And, but there's, he always gives us that time to come back to him. But again, we're not perfect, we're going to sin in this body, but he continues to work in us. I love how it's, it's another quote that we should give to non-believers who say that until they're ready. It says that when you become Christians, it's not that you're, you become sinless. You just sin less. So we still sin, but we just sin less than we did before. <laughs> so that's, it's encouraging. We have to remember, yeah, we're not perfect, but He lives within us. Yes, He wants a clean vessel, but that's why He's there. We just have to heed Him, heed the Spirit. So, so that's what just verse 10 is about, keeping His commandments as long as we abide. And, you know, He will give us what we ask in His name. And again, there's no condemnation if we fail. It's all about relationship, abiding. So continue to abide. Just like I mentioned, every tree, every plant takes its own time getting their fruit. Like our house we just moved into used to be my husband's old house. His mom planted a few trees there and they actually grew pretty, pretty good for her to just plant them herself. And probably I think out of seeds, not a plant that she just implanted. So we have a pomegranate tree, which I'm so excited about because it's just a messy tree that we have to trim. Sometimes it's like, it's kind of gross, I know, but it'll be full of fleas like underneath when he had his dog. It was, he loved to lay under that tree. And so we always have to keep it trimmed. And he's, my husband told me, because this is our first year moving in, or our first few days or weeks, and we're still getting things settled. But he told me that this is actually the first year that that tree's ever bore fruit. And it's been there for many, many, many years. I'm surprised it has, they didn't cut it off. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't because I love pomegranates and they're so expensive and at the stores and you just can't find them anymore. So it's pretty cool and that just reminded me of Jesus. He's patient with us and I'm surprised it bore fruit and they're starting to turn red. I'm like, oh, maybe they're going to bear fruit and just die, you know? <laughs> like we know Jesus did a curse on a tree in the Gospels because it just didn't bear fruit and he cursed it but it's so cool that's a cool picture that you know it takes time and, and some might be quicker than others but we just can't give up and just trust him so with that we're going to go ahead and pray dear heavenly father lord we just thank you lord again just for the word that you gave us lord i pray that if there's anything of me of me lord god that those words would just fall to the ground lord god that you would just minister to our hearts with your holy spirit lord god just what you desire to do in us lord god and, we just apply it to our lives, Lord, as, as James says, to not be just doers of the, hearers of the word, but doers, Lord. If not, we deceive ourselves if, if we don't apply it, Lord. And also, bring it to remembrance. As you said, the Holy Spirit brings as our helper and brings to remembrance. We pray that you will bring it to remembrance when it's time to encourage somebody. Just how Angela shared her testimony, she has that to encourage other people, whether saved or not saved, Lord. I pray that you would just um, remind us of not just knowledge to be puffed up by, but everything that you minister to our hearts through studies, Lord, that we could share, that it would just marinate, Lord, that it wouldn't just quickly leave our bodies, Lord, but it would marinate within our hearts. And we would be able to just, it would just overflow, Lord God, and anything we read in your word, Lord, that we would just be able to share with others. We know that many are lost, Lord, and they need you, Lord. I pray that you would just give us that boldness, Lord God. Sometimes we feel like failures because we want to share, but we can't, Lord, we're afraid or shy, Lord, I pray that you would just give us those opportunities that it would just be so easy and just be smooth, Lord, as we know it's your spirit that takes over, as long as we abide, Lord, and 
may we just, even if, if we do fail, Lord, I pray that we would just cultivate that heart of prayer, Lord God, to pray for others, Lord God, as we're learning in Philippians of intercessory prayer, how Paul really believed in it because he saw it, Lord, and even in his suffering, he was just interceding and interceding and writing to the churches when they should have wrote to him, Lord, and, and it shows us that that is what we're called to do, Lord, as Joe prayed for his friends as well, Lord. So we thank you again, Jesus, just for what you've done in Gigi's life everyone else's life, Lord, and what you're going to continue to do, Lord God. We believe that you're going to do great and mighty things, Lord. and within our families, Lord, we pray for those who aren't saved, Lord, and our friends, Lord, that you just do a miracle, Lord God, as we know that nothing is impossible, Lord, as we saw with Gigi's testimony, and just in the study, Lord God, we know that you're so patient with us, Lord God. We know that your will is that none shall perish, Lord. So I pray that we would just be those good witnesses, Lord, and that you would just do all the work. Can you hear me, Jesus? Amen.